What I want to think about tonight is this question. What if your rights turned out to be wrong for your physical, emotional, or spiritual health? And it's a really contemporary question because we live in an age where people say, well, I do what I want, nobody can tell me what to do. You know, if it feels good, then I, I want to have the freedom to do it. So it's a very contemporary question, but it's actually one that's answered by 2,000-year-old wisdom in the Apostle Paul. This is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but you need to know that I will not be mastered by anything. And it's that little phrase at the end there, I will not be mastered by anything. That really grounds us into the series that we're doing at the moment about discipleship. As we've said, discipleship implies that there is a master teacher that we are following, and not just following, not just learning from, but being apprenticed by so that we're being transformed into his image. Discipleship is all about a process of being formed to be a new person. But the truth is that we are all being formed all the time by the currents of culture in which we swim. They're unavoidable. The question is always, who is having the biggest influence in our life? If we're disciples of Jesus, are we consciously being formed by the things of Jesus? Or are we, to a large extent, maybe to an embarrassingly large extent, still being formed by the things of the world? And sometimes we, we use that very neutral term, being formed. But we could intensify that term. We could talk about not just being shaped, but maybe being groomed or brainwashed. You know, so often, we, if we don't wise up, open our eyes, open our ears, and really think, we can be easily led. The Bible says that we all, like sheep, have been led astray. That there is a part of human nature that makes makes it easy for us to, to respond to things that sound good in our ear, but actually are really bad for our souls. And I started thinking about some of these themes as I reflected on the storming of the US Capitol in, in early January. That, that mob that was kind of unleashed as a result of some of the rhetoric of, of Trump and his supporters, the point is that that mob did not act on the spur of the moment. In other words, there was a process that led up to them thinking that that storming of the capital was a right or reasonable thing to do. Actually, almost feeling that it was a responsibility. And it's really interesting that this, of course, is in a land that prides itself on being a bastion of democracy and the rule of law. What was the process that led to that all being flipped on its head? And it's easy to point the finger... But actually, are we subject to those same sort of currents and those same sort of influences? And we're going to do that, uh, look tonight at some of the advice that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. Timothy is his young protege. As Urbane reminded us, today is Mothering Sunday. And uh, I know that that will be a day of celebration for many families, but also a hard day for some. Becky and I have had a little bit of both um, for us, this is the first Mother's Day that we've had since we lost our mothers. We both lost our mothers at various points during this year. But it's right that we take the time today 
to give thanks for the influence of parents and grandparents and godparents and the godly people who have shaped us. And the Apostle Paul begins there. So in 2 Timothy, talking to his protege, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. If you come from a godly heritage, it's an amazing thing to give thanks for. And if you don't, it's an amazing thing to have as a vision for your life that your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, that, that there will be a legacy of faith that begins in your generation and is transferred down through the generations. So we're shaped by the influences that we have in our families. But also, we're shaped as Christians by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, um, to a certain extent by the tradition of the churches we grew up in and the fellowship of saints that, that we're part of. But at the same time, we're also being shaped by wider culture. And that can be things like social media or the mainstream media, the way that we're exposed to the, to the news channels that present news, maybe not always in a neutral way, to advertising. We're products also of the educational system that we've come through. And of course, the, the overall banner over our culture is one of progressive, liberal, worldviews that are increasingly secular. And all of these affect us directly and indirectly through the voices that we allow to give attention and to speak into our lives. And the Apostle Paul reminds us regularly that the world is not a neutral place. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2 and Galatians chapter 4, he talks about how the powers at work in the world are demonic that there's a twisting that goes on in modern society as there was in ancient society. The world hasn't changed. But it's interesting that Jesus and the New Testament don't call from withdrawal from the world. In other words, that it isn't as simple as saying all these things are bad, all these things are wrong. You cannot escape culture. Actually, as a Christian, your job, my job, is to transform culture. Jesus said that we were to be salt and light. But the challenge in that is that salt must not lose its saltiness. In other words, we, know, we need to understand the culture so we can engage with the culture, so that we can be a positive force in the culture, and doing that so that we affect the culture rather than the culture affects us. And I want to take an extended example tonight of our engagement with culture um, by looking at social media. Now, social media may not be a big thing for you, although I suspect it is an increasingly big thing for most of us, and it's a certainly a big thing for the generations that are coming up. It's a powerful tool. You know, I've, I've got social media accounts on all of the main social media channels. It's, there's a conversation going on. It's really important as, as a Christian leader that I'm part of that conversation. It needs, though, to be used wisely, and we need to make sure that we're understanding how we might be drawn in and maybe shaped and discipled by our exposure to those things. And we need to make sure, obviously, as in everything, that we are salty, that we're using these opportunities for good and not for evil. 
So I just want to take a few thoughts about some of the impacts of social media because I would suggest that many people, even in the church, are being discipled far more by social media than they are by the things of Jesus. And even if we are people who pursue the things of Jesus, we need to be wise to how our engagement with social media and all the other things that perhaps that stands in the place of might be affecting us. So let's just look at a a few factors of what engagement with social media looks like. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I've never really got involved in that. The chances are you're perhaps slightly older than the average listener. The truth is that you certainly have people in your life that you care for that are deeply involved in moment by moment, not just daily, but you know, almost moment by moment engagement with social media. So this is a truth for all of us because we need to help each other with it. First thing is that social media promotes dissatisfaction. Comparison. You know, you look at other people's lives through social media. That's the whole point of it. And of course, we know nothing good comes from comparison. Comparison leads to low self-esteem. And we have that Instagram gap between what's presented and what's real. You know, the reality, the shiny, glossy, well, that's, that's not the reality, is it? You know, people present their best and hide their worst. And we know also that the advent of social media, and particularly social media and smartphones, that is, you can correlate that exactly to the massive increase in self-harm, in suicide amongst teens, and referrals for gender reassignment, all these sorts of things. It seems that our negative thoughts or our struggles can be amplified in a social media environment. So dissatisfaction. Second thing is distraction. It's just so distractive. It's hard to live in the moment. People suffer from FOMO, the fear of missing out. We know that increasingly we have a minimized attention span. I think I read somewhere, although it's hard to believe, that this is the first generation that has an attention span shorter than a goldfish. We know that people struggle with a loss of sleep, particularly teenagers, because of the blue light effects of looking at their phones right until the last minute before they try to close their eyes. We know that the apps that we use are so cleverly, intentionally designed to give us little hits, dopamine hits, to draw us in when we use them. They talk about positive, intermittent reinforcement. Just think about Pavlov and his dogs and ringing the bell to make them hungry. We, we know that these apps are designed to be addictive, to draw us in. But the, the truth is, we need that noise. I don't know if you are someone who watches football, but... It's been really interesting this year to be watching football without crowds. And so a lot of the channels have turned crowd noise on because we need that noise to really engage with the games. But we also have to accept that the noise that's around us is going to affect us. There was a famous series of studies that had people in cars and they were driving simulators and and they drove those simulators, some people with no music, some people with classical music, and some people with pounding rock music. Guess who drove the fastest? Obviously those who are listening to the pounding rock music. That's a word to me, actually, because that's normally what happens with me. 
We're affected by it. We can be dissatisfied. We can be distracted by this noisy thing in our life that we learn to love and need. But at the same time, social media leads to a dumbing down effect. It's the instant reactions that you get through social media, plus also the limitation of 280 characters if you're on Twitter, and everything just gets reduced down to sound bites. Sound bites oversimplify complex issues, and then, even worse, complex debate is replaced by shouting down. And that leads us on to a fourth thing, dissatisfaction, distraction, dumbing down. The fourth thing is division. So often, as we choose who we follow, and as the algorithms work to kind of steer us towards people that are like us, so often what actually happens is we end up in little echo chambers which reinforce division and a lack of understanding. Online abuse is very real, not only within groups that know each other in real life, but anonymous individuals popping up and making somebody else feel terrible. As we've seen with rugby reporters being um, taken to task for their interviewing style and reduced to tears. Finally, deception. Dissatisfaction, distraction, dumbing down, division, but ultimately, deception. One of the things about social media is that it empowers fringe views, gives everybody a voice. And that can be good because it enables not very powerful individuals in totalitarian societies to hold despotic governments or biased medias to account to get the truth out. But it can also be negative as well. It can undermine experts. You know, somebody who's devoted their life to studying someone has the same power and the same voice as somebody else who's just got an idea they've plucked out of thin air. So often what happens is that the voices that we listen to are not those that are measured, but those that play on our fears. And you end up with crazy views getting mass acceptance. I mean, if you actually sat down and looked at the QAnon conspiracy and what they believe about a secret cabal of paedophiles that are taking over politics, and you look at that and you think, could anybody believe this? Conspiracy theories flying off all the time. And we know, unfortunately, that as these things go out, many will come across and connect to even darker areas. There was a, um, a film on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It, it's less of a film, more of a documentary, really, but it has some very frightening statistics in it. And one of the things in there, it says that 64%, fully, almost, two-thirds, 64% of those who are in extremist groups on Facebook were drawn there by the algorithms of the program itself. And in that same program, a former ethicist who had worked for Google says this, it's not about the tech. It's not about the tech being the existential threat. It's the tech's ability to bring out the worst in society. And that's the existential threat. Now, we're probably all aware of these things at one level. They're reported quite widely. I had a personal brush with it in the last few weeks. I lent my voice, along with about 50 or 60 other Christian leaders, to 
a video that we'd been asked to produce to encourage um, communities, particularly things like the BAME community that weren't taking up the vaccination offer at the same rate. But you know, a number of Christian leaders to, to encourage people to take the vaccination. The powerful reminder for me was that for about two weeks after, almost every day, I would be getting online abuse from people that didn't think the vaccinations were a good idea. And it wasn't debate, it was abuse. You know, it were, I was told that I'd sold out to Big Pharma, which is news to me because I haven't received any money yet. But apparently I was being paid an awful lot of money to do this. It was compared to the Nazis brainwashing people. It was uh, told that we had all become a synagogue of Satan. Um, numerous mentions of the mark of the beast and all these sorts of things without any thought for context or motive or even the individual that's on the other side of that communication. Now that's an extreme example, but we're all aware that there can be a dark side to these things. And what are we to do about it? Well, as I said, Paul's letters to Timothy, especially this second letter to Timothy, are letters of fatherly concern. And it was a day of gross immorality and persecution. In fact, if you see in uh, chapter 3, the first few verses, Paul says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And he means the days that they are in after the resurrection. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he goes to say something even scarier, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, Paul is writing in tough times. And, and in many ways, we could read that list and say that also feels very contemporary. The tradition is that uh, soon after writing this letter, Paul would himself be beheaded by Nero. And so Paul is concerned to make sure that Timothy can stand in that sort of culture. That's why I think this letter is so apt for us today. So if we go back to the beginning of chapter 2, he starts... You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, you've got to root your feet in days where the powerful winds of culture are blowing against you. You have to be strong standing in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. More than that, make sure you're preaching the gospel and you're keeping the gospel as the main thing. So verse 2, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people will also be qualified to teach others. If you want to see something go viral, make it the gospel. Make sure that what you're doing is amplifying and multiplying the good news about Jesus, not anything else. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to many people who will then go to many more people so the word gets out. But also, be aware that it's going to be painful. In verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, don't expect anything different than what I'm going through. Stand, prioritize the gospel, but don't shy away from suffering because nothing that is good will come easily. As we read on in, in verse 8, he gives a second charge. Remember, so not just stand firm, 
but remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not changed. It's not chained. So in other words, what he's saying is, remember the example of Jesus. Now Jesus stuck with the truth. He didn't admit to any compromise in that message, even when it took him into suffering and to death upon the cross. But he says, because God's word is not chained, in other words, the truth will ultimately win. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then it's this wonderful um, little ancient Christian hymn in verses 11 to 13 to say to us that Jesus' example of cross followed by resurrection gives us the certainty of our hope in him. And then finally, he, he talks about what Timothy needs to remind his hearers of. And he's basically saying, remember your responsibility as a Christian leader to protect the flock against anything that would undermine that focus on spreading the gospel and that confidence in Jesus' grace being able to see us through till we fully take hold of that hope. If we pick it up in verse 14, these are words I think speak really powerful to us in a social media, modern you know, mainstream news culture. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things, in other words, the truth of the gospel. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. I would say that in, in a world where social media gives us all a voice, that he's not just speaking to leaders. He's saying, remember, not just Timothy, remember your responsibility as a leader, but all of us, remember your responsibility as a Christian to live in truth, to act in grace, and to commend the gospel. Those are words that we, we need to hear as perhaps we go into a social media environment and try to be salt and light. And maybe some people will need to not go into that environment. Maybe for them it's not a, a healthy place. Maybe all of us will sometimes need to intentionally disengage in order to help others. Or intentionally disengage in order to put things back in their place. You can't get a true perspective in the circus house of mirrors. You remember those things? I don't know if you've ever been to one of those uh, fun fairs or something, and you, you go to the fun fair and you walk in and there's this particular place, and you go in and every wall is a warped mirror. And it's impossible to get a right perspective. So we need, in a world of warped mirrors, to come back to the word of God. As we keep reading through the passage, in verse 22, Paul says... Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord 
out of a pure heart. In other words, associate with godly people. Verse 23, stay out of foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. But he also says, so stay out of foolish arguments, but he also says in verse 24, help others. So the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. I wish that would be everybody's Twitter bio. That would be great, wouldn't it? Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's a discipleship issue. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to make sure that in no way are you being taken captive to do anybody else's will and definitely not Satan's. In other words, Christians were falling into traps. And Timothy was said, make sure you engage to help them get out of them. And Christians were falling into those traps not only because of those who were worldly voices, obviously, but also those with the appearance of truth. As we read through the letter, you'll see that's a theme. Just as Jesus had to warn about Pharisees, Paul warns about false teachers within the church. The lies that are near us can be far harder to discern than those that are obvious. In fact, um, Paul is bold enough to remind Timothy of his own example in uh, chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about, and then he lists the qualifications that prove his character. And look at this in verse 14. As for you, continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. What really commends truth is a life that you've seen close up over a long time and something that reflects the truth that you can read for yourself in the Scripture. In other words, don't just listen to the loudest voices. According to the Corinthians, actually, Paul wasn't a very impressive speaker. Find yourself humble, loving, godly examples. And this Mothering Sunday, great time to give thanks for those in your life. Find yourself a humble, loving, godly example and then try and be one yourself for others as well. A last word from Paul, which comes from an earlier writing, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Though we live in the world, we do not fight as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We do that in our own lives and maybe by the grace of God we can do that in the lives of others as well. Those weapons are truth and righteousness and love and prayer and faith. And I think these are the things that Paul, with his dying words, as it were, here in 2 Timothy, these are the things that Paul wants to pass on to Timothy, his spiritual son, and the things I think he would want to challenge us on too. So we're going to have a time of ministry and then Martin and the band are going to just lead us in some reflective worship. 
I would encourage you just to think, what is it that God is saying to you today? So open yourself to God's presence. You may even want to stand, close your eyes, and come consciously into a time of receiving and responding. And as I was praying earlier, I was reminded that the first time the Spirit of God is mentioned in the book of Isaiah, he's introduced as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh. But this is what he is like. He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel. Before it gets on to his might or his power, it talks about wisdom, understanding and counsel. So I pray Holy Spirit, just fall on each of us now and give us spiritual discernment. Give us understanding. Help us to see Help us to make wise choices in what we engage with and what we leave. And I ask you this question. Is social media a positive force in your life? Or is it one of those things that is a a right is something you could do but actually might be not beneficial for you or not beneficial for you at this moment I won't be mastered by anything says Paul so could you put it down could you lay it aside can you put it back in its place and say you're a tool you're a tool not a master Brothers, perhaps you know that you're not mastered by this, that the word of God is strong in your life and that you stand consciously in the grace of Jesus. may even be that some being called to be salt and light in the social media conversation. You know, this isn't one of those talks where I tell you what everyone needs to do because everyone's different. Just in the same way that the Bible says it's okay for some to drink, but for others it's not okay for them. Let the Spirit give you wisdom and discernment. Lord, I I pray that we would be these humble, loving, godly examples that Paul encourages Timothy to be for others. Help us to look to the right people and follow them. And then help us to be the people that others could follow with benefit. We want to amplify the good and stand for truth and love and justice. And so as we continue to spend time in God's presence tonight, I just invite you and encourage you to continue to pray for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
and to be like Jesus, to be one who delights in the fear of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon us tonight, Lord. Amen.